Since the start of Russia's full-scale invasion, the U.S. and its allies have supplied Ukraine with tens of billions of dollars of weapon systems and ammunition. But keeping the material flowing for this bruising war is proving a challenge for arms manufacturers. Nick Schifrin has the story. The poets call war the ultimate measure of man. Planners call war the ultimate competition of logistics. And it's been 80 years since a war with logistics on this industrial scale. Ukraine fires as many 155-millimeter artillery rounds in about five days as the U.S. produces in a month. Many of them are forged, finished at 1,500 degrees, and painted here, a 1950s factory in Scranton, Pennsylvania. The machinery is decades old, but until now, it suited U.S. needs. Iraq and Afghanistan were not dueling artillery battles. But today, the 20,000 artillery shells the plant creates every 30 days is a fraction of Ukraine's needs. Ukraine's defense minister, Alexei Reznikov, recently wrote to the European Union in a letter described to PBS NewsHour that Ukraine can only fire one-fifth of what it could because of munitions shortages. We saw that ourselves on the outskirts of Bakhmut in eastern Ukraine. This team told us they did not have enough artillery to fire constantly. Oleksandr commands an artillery unit in the 93rd Brigade. Do you have what you need in order to complete this fight? We do have equipment, but we need more. And we need more and more and more, because they won't stop until we stop them. The current rate of Ukraine's ammunition expenditure is many times higher than our current rate of production. Last month, NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg said defense industry couldn't deliver fast enough and had to expand quickly. This is now becoming a, a grinding war of attrition, and the war of attrition is a war of logistics. The U.S.'s defense industrial base is not fully prepared to conduct an industrial-style war or to deter that kind of war. Seth Jones directs the International Security Program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies and recently wrote a report about a shortage of materiel, empty bins, in a wartime environment. The U.S. has had operational plans for major war, but I think what hasn't happened is to tie those plans directly to acquisitions needs right now. Already, the U.S. has sent from its stockpiles more than $32 billion worth of weapons, including more than a million 155-millimeter shells, 1,600 shoulder-fired Stinger anti-aircraft missiles, 8,500 Javelin anti-tank weapons, 1,800 Phoenix Ghost drones, and 38 high-mobility artillery rocket systems. What the U.S. has been able to do is use a range of its stockpiles of weapons. The challenge, though, is that a number of those stockpiles are now decreasing and the production lines aren't rising to levels uh, that we need them for future contingencies. It's not only about Ukraine. The military always plans for contingencies, including a war in the Pacific with China. And now the Defense Department is spending billions to increase production, including modernizing the Scranton plant, as seen in these before and after photos. Already, production has increased nearly 50%. Overall, the Army hopes to increase artillery production 500% in the next two years, the largest production expansion since the Korean War. Bill LaPlante is the Undersecretary of Defense for Acquisition and Sustainment. I spoke to him on Wednesday and began by asking him whether the West could meet Ukraine's needs for artillery. 
We'll do our best, and we have been doing our best to meet the demand as it comes in. And of course, the devil's in the details as to which caliber, but yes. As the piece showed, um, the 155 millimeter, we have already uh, funded the factory at, at significant amounts to get that production rate, ultimately up at five times that amount, which is almost unprecedented. And it's not just producing, but what we're also buying and, and getting from around the world in different stocks to supply what the Ukrainians need. Every day, we try to move something to the left, whether it's finding equipment in another country we can ship in, or anything we can do to find stocks. As we just saw, Ukrainian soldiers just a few weeks ago outside of Bakhmut told me they didn't have enough. Uh, that was uh, an artillery piece, an older artillery right. piece, Soviet era. Uh, it was with another mortar unit. They right. said they didn't have enough mortars also firing. Soviet-era mortars. This isn't only about American, European right. weapons, is it? It's also about getting Ukraine older weapons, which many of their units still use, right? That's exactly right. It's a constant challenge of do we find or produce the old Soviet or Russian equipment, or do we give them the new equipment? And, and that's we go through that every day. But on air defense specifically, I've been told they're running out of S-300 of parts, weapons all over the world, and so therefore they have to go to Western. I think, I think for air defenses and frankly for ground forces, what you're seeing is having to uh, go from the old Soviet systems to almost certainly Western systems for the reasons you said. Uh, and this is all, of course, before we get to Ukraine's spring offensive. Uh, you are trying to figure out how to get all these armored vehicles and their parts into Ukraine. Uh, how do you know that they'll have enough of those munitions, those parts, those modern weapons, to be able to launch some kind of counteroffensive in the coming weeks? What we're doing is working with the Germans, the Poles, and the other countries. When we have a shortfall in parts, say for a certain version of Leopards, to scour and find those parts, even to the extent we can find advanced manufacturing of 3D print. So we're working on each one, and, to, and the idea is to make sure that there are enough parts to sustain for each model. Why not give Ukraine uh, the longer-range weapon known as the Atakum, uh, which would fly 180 miles uh, that it's been requesting, so that so far the administration has refused? Yeah, it's, a, it's been a policy uh, decision to date that the, uh, the long-range weapons, which we have been providing, which is about an 80-kilometer precision-guided weapon, is, is sufficient in range for the targets that they have. I think for when you get into uh, types of capabilities that are well beyond it, you get into policy issues and sustainment issues of whether or not it's an escalatory thing. If I could, though, intelligence officials tell me that specifically the capacity of the ATACM and the range of the ATACM is a red line for the Kremlin in terms of what Ukraine would be able to hit if it were to use that weapon in Russia. But why is that a concern, given that Ukraine has promised not to use American weapons inside Russia? Well, it, I think it's one of the concerns. I think there's multiple concerns. And the other piece of it is what, to what extent it will make a big difference in, in the battle. And those are all part of the calculation. To what end uh, are you trying to procure weapons for Ukraine to re-seize all of its territory that it has lost since 2014? We're providing everything we can that we believe they need. And I would say this, we are going to be there with them until it's over and as long as we need to. Um, and not for the least of which is if we think it's expensive now, if Putin prevails, it'll be really expensive. And so this is really that important, and we, we're going to provide the equipment they need. Ukraine argues it won't be over until it reseizes Crimea. That, that may be their view. <laughs> and that's Ukraine's choice, basically. That, that's it, this, is, this is their fight. This is their fight. Uh, you heard Seth Jones in the package there saying that as stockpiles in the U.S. are being drawn down, production lines aren't expanding enough to meet future requirements. Do you agree? And, and if so, um, I think that that's a subjective comment. I actually... I actually don't necessarily agree. I think we're going across the board and putting billions of dollars in investment across across in these companies, and uh, it's it's going to be rapidly uh, ramping up. And so, really, what's at stake here is a time issue. 
It's we will rank up, ramp up, and we are ramping up right now. And the question is arguably is racing against time, and that's where the, that's where we are. How does that translate though into actual deliveries? How long does that take? Right. This gets to something called a long lead item. How long it takes before you get the item when you when you actually uh, award it. And so what, what that can be as long as a year, but it's every day we have teams working on this, scouring the earth. And finally, how do you prioritize orders, especially moving forward? Uh, you've argued that the weapons going to Ukraine do not affect some of the weapons orders, for example, that Taiwan uh, is making, but the fact is the U.S. is behind on some of the orders right. it has promised to Taiwan. So what right. is that priority, and does one theater affect the other? It can affect, but you know, there's, there's less overlap perhaps than people believe. I'll give you the example for Taiwan. There is a backlog for Taiwan. It happens to be on items like F-16, and production of F-16, that's a lot of it, which to date, even though there's been discussions, hasn't been a player in the Ukraine. Where I will say that there is something that we all have to watch is the underlying suppliers, the suppliers of solid rocket motors, of batteries, of, of energetics. There, those are common across all domains, and that's where we've also been putting our emphasis. And what, is, what message does your struggles to deal with the procurement challenges right now and also what you're doing to overcome them, what message does that send to China when it comes to Taiwan? Well, I think what we, I'd like to think that what we show China is, number one, we can turn fast. We can turn fast. We are getting folks under contract within a week, and we are getting things put together and into theater that are incredibly innovative very, very fast. We will follow up and make sure our industrial base is ready to go. And so I've often said that industrial capacity is itself a deterrent. And so I think we have to remind ourselves that um, as we look not just at China, but at what's beyond Ukraine. Bill LaPlante, Undersecretary of Defense, thanks very much. Thank you, Nick.